You're listening to the North Canton Chapel podcast. Thank you for joining us today. The North Canton Chapel exists to make much of Jesus every day to everyone. It's our prayer that this podcast will equip you to do just that. We believe that there's nothing like the church united together in gospel community. We'd love if you'd stop in and say hello in person if you're in our neighborhood. Our gathering times are at 9 and 10.30 a.m. Thank you again for joining us today. Let's listen in. Well, good morning, NCC. Uh, my name is Matt Brumfield. Uh, some of you may know me as Brummy, or maybe your kids or grandkids know me as Slime Guy from Summer Blast. Um, I'm one of the pastors here, and it's my honor to be helping us unpack week five of this journey. So we've been going through Ephesians this summer. If this is your first time here, great. We're so glad that you're with us. We're about a third of the way through our weeks and about a third of the way through this letter of Paul to the church in Ephesus. And we've been unpacking these deep truths about who God is, that he is a God who is holy, but he's also rich in mercy. And this journey has reminded us over and over that all of this, it's about Jesus. And we say here at the North Canton Chapel, we want to be a church that makes much of Jesus. And hopefully if you're newer to NCC or maybe you're even new to a church, uh, this journey has helped you see why. Because it's all about Jesus. Anything that we are now is only because of him. And so we're going to be continuing in Ephesians chapter 2. We're going to look at verses 11 through 22. Last week, Pastor Brandon unpacked the truth. It's a hard truth, a bleak but true reality that each of us, all of us, every single human being on the face of this planet is dead in our sins and transgressions, that no one is righteous, no one is good. All of us, no matter who we are, no matter what country, ethnicity, culturally where we are born, we are born into sin and sin means we're dead, and dead people can't make themselves alive again. And these two beautiful words, but God, because he is rich in mercy, he sent Jesus to die a death that we couldn't, to pay a price we couldn't pay, to offer a sacrifice that was perfect through the shedding of his blood to make a way for dead people to become alive again. And this new life brings with it peace, this beautiful word that we're going to unpack today. So, um, Summer Blast was our like kind of like VBS. We had like 350 kids, and so coming off of Summer Blast, it was like the Monday morning. I usually wake up in my house around like 4, 4.30 because I need a little bit of time with coffee and Jesus um, because you can spend time with Jesus, but I like to try and have least distractions. Um, and so it was about 6.30 when the kids started waking up, and so I was going to make breakfast. And so Finn, my oldest, um, everywhere I went, he was just right with me. And so I like putting stuff in the toaster, turn around, almost hit him in the face, like going to get milk, turn around. And as all imperfect parents do, we hit these moments. I'm just like, dude, what are you doing? Why, why are you just like following me everywhere? And then this moment that w- was this glimpse of God, right? And this parental like, oh man, I need to confess and repent. You know, Finn looked at me and said, well, you're my dad. I just want to be close to you. You know, and I recognize, even this morning, as we say Father's Day, and talking about peace, we're going to talk about access, I recognize that as we step into this space, you know, as I've been sitting and just praying, like, there's just a weightiness for so many of us. You know, as one of your pastors, someone who has been a part of this church family for 14 years, I've watched you, I see you, I strive to pray for you, and I recognize there's this weight. 
And that for some of you stepping here, you watch online that there's this pain even to hear Father's Day, to hear this idea of a father of access. But see, there's this beautiful glimpse of this God because my son, in that moment of saying that, he knew he could be near to be able to be in the presence. And so I want us to unpack today the richness of God's word that shows us how and why we can be near, can be in the presence of God because of Jesus. See, Paul, in this section of his letter, he's going to proclaim that not just in Jesus there is peace, but that Jesus himself is peace. And so here's the truth. Here's where we're going. Here's where we're going to press in. Peace is not the absence of your circumstance, but the presence of your king. Let's pray, and then we're going to dive into God's word together. Heavenly Father, we come before you. Jesus, I don't know what every person who is in this room, who is watching online, what they are carrying, what they step into this space with, but God, you are good, and you see them, and you know them. Holy Spirit, I ask that you would continue, Lord, continue to soften our hearts. Would you just open eyes that are blind, give us ears to hear that we could Let your word, the better word, speak truth over us. Would you protect us and defend us from the attack of the enemy? Would we listen to your scripture and let that be the truth that speaks a greater word to our feelings, to our thoughts, to our lives? Jesus, we pray this in your holy and mighty name. Amen. So we're going to start reading here in Ephesians chapter 2. We're going to start in verse 11. It says this. It says, Therefore... Remember that at one time, you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision, yes, there's quotation marks there, we're going to get to that, by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands, remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. So Paul begins this section with therefore, and as Pastor Brandon, our lead pastor here, he often says, we need to know what the therefore is there for. So the first 10 verses last week unpacked the reality of our spiritual separation that each and every one of us have from God and how Jesus, through his death on the cross, his atonement, can make dead men and women alive. Now, Paul is going to move here in this section from this inward reality of sinful and rebellious humans to this outward expression of our separation from God because of sin. So we see this word Gentiles, which is you and me separated from God because we are not part of the covenant people. So let's define this because we don't often hear talk of Gentiles and covenants. Maybe students, you follow like biblical scholars on TikTok. And so like, you know a lot about like Gentiles and covenants. But if we don't, maybe it's your first time at church or at church in a while. And you're like, what's a Gentile? What's a covenant? We're glad you're with us. Let's dig into God's word and what it's saying when he speaks of this. So The Jewish people, right, Israel, these were the people that were set apart as God's chosen people, his chosen nation. And up until Jesus, the idea of salvation was for God's chosen people through his covenant, so the Jews. And this was expressed, we see this in the Old Testament, in the covenants given, this oath that was dependent upon God. It's this idea of do this, if you do this, then this, if you break this, then this. This language here, Paul, is calling back to the Old Testament, the story of God unfolding redemption through his chosen people, Israel, through covenant. So 
circumcision, this was this, you know, and I like grin and laugh, and, um, right, circumcision, what is it? Back then, it was understood to be this sign and seal of the covenant that God made with Abraham in Genesis 17. It was this symbol, a tangible symbol, that the people of God, the Jewish people, would say, you were in the covenant if, right, the children, if these men, the young men, the boys, were circumcised. And so this was a symbol that they were set apart under the promises of God where he said, I will never leave you nor forsake you if you follow me, if you keep my commandments and laws. And so this term here, which we see in quotations, the uncircumcision, in the days when Paul was writing, this was a derogatory term. So it was used to make sure the one that was being spoken to knew, hey, you aren't God's people. You aren't in You didn't have access to God. You weren't able to approach God. Because God is holy, he is set apart, he cannot be in the presence of sin. There is order in how you could approach God. We see the reality of the sacrifice needed. Leading up to Jesus, the priests would have to go into the temple on behalf of the Jewish people and offer sacrifice over and over and over. And even there, the temple was divided into these areas. And the outermost of, of which was the only place permissible for, for us, okay? Unless you're Jewish in here. For Gentiles and non-circumcised, you could not enter beyond that outer courts of the temple. And we're going to get to that, okay? Because there was a wall, which we're going to talk about in a moment, this sign of physical separation. You did not have access to God. But an important thing to clarify here, we can't really dig into it. Um, but if you want to have a conversation with one of the pastors, we would love that. Right, well, God's chosen people, the, the Jews, um, right? And so we see, right, the Old Testament is this, right, God's faithfulness, his covenants with them. But the God of the Old Testament is the same as the God in the New Testament. We sang about it in this song. God's character is the same then and now. His heart is the same then and now. God's work to redeem and restore all of creation to himself has been unfolding throughout all of Scripture. So let's continue here. Verse 13, it says this. It says, But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. You know what's crazy and beautiful about these verses? So there's these verbs. If you don't know what a verb is, it's like this action that is happening. Did you know that the only action that is dependent upon you and me, on us, on the the readers, the hearers, is when it says remember? The only thing that is being asked of us is to remember every every other thing is dependent upon God. So let's unpack this as we sit here for a moment. If we are only brought near by the blood of Jesus and the power of the Spirit by the beckoning of the Father, then we need to unpack some lies we may have let creep into our lives. How are we brought near to God? It is not by right birth. You aren't born a Christian. You may be born into a family, grow up in the church. You may inherit outward values, but that does not equate to inward confession. None of us are saved by right knowledge, and can I caution us? James 2.19 warns us, you believe that God is one. You do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. The demons know who God is. They have this right knowledge, but they do not have this inward confession that Jesus is Savior and Lord and submit their lives to him. Now, hear me in case you, like, take this snippet and, like, Brummie's saying theology doesn't matter. 
We should seek to grow, to dig deep, to study. But the markers of a life in Christ, one who is indwelt with the Spirit, will be marked not just with right theology, but with the fruit of the Spirit. Look at Galatians 5. And to push to the opposite end of the pendulum, because we always want to like adjust and live on extremes, it's not just our right acting, our right expressing, our right loving. When we abide in Jesus, it's all about Jesus. Anything we do, think, or say is from him and points to him. And we must caution when we want to put the full emphasis on something else, whether it be our voting, our thinking, our debating, our expressing, our choosing, our loving. No, look at this text. God did this. God brought you through Jesus and Jesus alone. This should inform our gratitude for where we are, but it should not fuel pride that we are better and shame towards in process still being drawn lost brothers and sisters who are fearfully and wonderfully made and bear the imagio Dei, the image of God. This should inform our prayer life for where someone else is, not shame them that they aren't fill in the blank. Making much of Jesus doesn't excuse growing in theological depth, nor does it excuse our lives and speech marked by the fruit of the Spirit. It reminds us of right posture to listen, to bear with in-process brothers and sisters, to abide with Jesus daily, feasting on his word, asking the Holy Spirit to teach us, to grow us in truth and in grace, to convict us of sin, to guide us in the spaces and with the people, not everyone, but the spaces and the people that Jesus has entrusted to us. You have been brought near by the blood of Jesus, not by our own doing, So now what? How does that change us to live from that truth? Let's continue. Verse 14, it says, For he, Jesus, he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace. Remember we talked about that wall. When Paul is writing here, this dividing wall is metaphorical and it's literal. Okay, so those, those temple courts, this wall which separated the inner courts from the outer courts, it was this like about five-foot stone wall called the Soric Wall. Okay, this wall kept Gentiles and those unacceptable from drawing into the temple where God's presence was in fear of death. Okay, it was inscribed with warning that foreigners, strangers, aliens... Not like Martians, but when we say aliens, it's talking about like those who are not a part of this people, this culture, this this kingdom. Gentiles could not enter, right? In the words of Gandalf, you shall not pass. It was this physical reminder of a spiritual reality of this separation from God. Remember those two words, but God, look what he has done through Jesus. This dividing wall has been broken in the physical and the spiritual. The separation of God was no more. The Father has brought near those who were once separated, alienated, without hope, unable to gain access to his presence through Jesus. And because of Jesus and by Jesus. And see, it's not expressed in these outward ways. Like, church, we really need to hear this. See, our hope, our peace is not through an earthly nation or worldly position or institution or power. And, like, listen, 
This is hard, especially as we look ahead to another election year. Peace is not found apart from Jesus, and Jesus dwells in human beings. Therefore, gospel peace, as we see it here, is never going to be summed up in the fullness of an earthly position, platform, or nation. There most likely are people who are in Christ who make up a portion of that, but that position, platform, or nation in and of itself is not the fullness of peace. Only Christ and Christ alone gives us peace because, listen, if those nations fade, if those platforms fade, our peace is not lost because peace is Jesus and Jesus never fades. And we need to let this inform us no matter who we are, no matter where we fall, because Jesus is our peace. That's what it's saying here. But it's hard We so easily want to believe if we just had this, then we'd have peace. If this thing just happened. But see, this is why Jesus came, because nothing is as it should be. And the story that has been unfolding since the beginning is one of reconciliation. This beautiful word. Look, in verse 16, it says, And might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. Remember the verb, all the action in here. It's Jesus. It's God who's doing it. Jesus is the one who does this, who reconciles. This Greek word, I was trying to pronounce this. I'm not a Greek scholar. And all my run-throughs, I was like, it's making me hungry because when I say it, it sounds like we're going to go get tacos. The word is apakotolasso. And that means, and, and you guys can like send me an email. My email is Brandon at, just kidding. Um, But it means I reconcile, I change from one state to another. Remember, Jesus is the one doing the action. You and I, we're the object of the action. The only action that we are doing is remembering everything else is God acting. We are just the objects of his action. Look at verse 17. And he, Jesus, came and preached peace to you who are far off and peace to those who are near. For through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. Listen, these four words, came, preached, peace, and access. This is the gospel, Emmanuel. Emmanuel is not just this title that we sing in songs around the holidays. This is God with us. John 1 says Jesus came full of grace and truth. He walked with us. He bore our sin to pay the price that you and I could never pay, to be the atoning sacrifice, to reconcile us back to God preached here, this word preached in the Greek, it's translated as he proclaimed the gospel. It's this idea of evangelism to bring good news. And we have to ask ourselves, what is good news? Not what you and I in our flesh or culturally may want, but what does God's word say? It says peace. And we need to unpack this. Like this is so important because all of us stepping into this space, watching online, have an idea of what we believe peace to be. And see, we miss some of this. We need to go back to the text. But when we read this in the English, we just say peace, and so we carry this weight. In the Greek, this word peace, this is what it's defined as. It's defined as oneness, as wholeness. It's defined as when all essential parts are joined together. We're going to remember this because that gives context to the language Paul is going to use. 
notice this definition has very little to do with an absence of surroundings. It has very much to do with the presence of access. This Greek word here for access means to come near, but this isn't just like coming near like I'm almost at the the drive-thru where I can order my Starbucks or right to come near is almost just like you're waiting in the grocery store and they're like, why are they so close? No, this idea of access, it's this to come near with intimacy. That story I talked about of Finn that he could draw near, but it was this, not this lost child at the grocery store, but it was one who knew his father that could come close. You have access, intimacy. A holy God through Jesus has given you intimate access to him. It's this idea of belonging. Remember what we said, peace is not the absence of your circumstance, but it is the presence of your king. Verse 19, let's continue. It says, so then, because of all of this that Jesus has done, so then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. This beautiful imagery here in this language, being Being joined together in the Greek is defined as fit together to efficiently and effectively function. God draws you and then he places you at his table, in his house, in his kingdom for his purposes. Last week, right, Pastor Brandon unpacked this. Ephesians 2.10 tells us that God has these good works which he prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. You see, this isn't like We pray a prayer when we're six, and now we just sit waiting. A life in Christ is not like we're now a two-by-four, and we just sit and wait in Home Depot with all the other two-by-fours, waiting for that day when the builder comes back again. That's not it. No, we're two-by-fours, and we're four-by-fours, and we're saws, and we're nails, and we're wiring, and we're drywall, and we're coming together. Biblical peace is wholeness in and access to the family of God, belonging. Every bolt, nut, screw, stud, drywall, paint, wall decor has a place. See what Paul's talking about is saying, in the vastness of their diversity of where they were in the flesh, they are unified and shaped and given a place because of Jesus and by Jesus, and it's a process. This word in the Greek for grow that's seen here is this oxano. It's one of my favorite Greek words for the guy who can't pronounce them and thinks about tacos, right? But this Greek word, it means to make grow, to grow. This is this nonstop progress. This is this idea of sanctification. See, in Jesus, when we confess him, that is justification. We are seen rightly before God, but until we breathe our last breath, or until he calls us home, there is never something in us that Jesus isn't still working out. We are not just a pile of two-by-fours that just sit and say, I'm good, until he comes. There is always something to grow. And see, this is why it saddens me when we forget that we are called to be storytellers of God's ongoing redemptive work. And our story is not just, I prayed a prayer at six and now I'm waiting. 
Beloved brothers and sisters, you have access to the Father who is still working, who is still calling, who is still drawing, to the God who parted the seas, who raised the dead, who fed the thousands, who heals, who calls my name, who gives purpose, who is worthy of our worship. See, the text here says that you are being dwelt into a, built into a dwelling place for his spirit. The spirit of God lives in you, supplies you with a power and a strength that is not your own to lead you, to guide you, to convict you, to encourage you, to give you a peace, a wholeness that's beyond yours, understanding, or mine. The question is, does it not fill us with awe and wonder that a holy God would send his son to make a way that we could have intimate access to him and a part in his kingdom, that we would be brought near, made whole, held and secure in the arms of Jesus. See, there's this word cornerstone, and I'm not a builder. Britain could probably speak to some of that. Um, but this idea of cornerstone, I looked it up because I'm a decent, like, Googler and sifter through things. And modern architecture, from what I've heard, a lot of times a cornerstone is, like, ceremonial. So we need to unpack this because Jesus is not ceremonial. We don't just slap a cross and Jesus on things. No, when it talks about cornerstone, it was the idea of like this was the central piece. It held weight and it guided everything else that happened. So when it says Jesus is the cornerstone, it means that he's the lens by which we weigh our politics, our words, our actions, our family, our lives, our expression, the Jesus way. We need him in every day, in every way. We needed him then and we need him now. And see, church, he is not done. Let the it is finished be proclaimed over sin, over my sin, over your sin. But let not you are finished be proclaimed over fellow image bearers. As though you or I somehow have an inside track into how and when God's spirit works to draw and to sanctify others. Some may be today, some may have been yesterday. But see, if others are years in the making of God doing the action to draw them near. Let us not rejoice that they are lost. And let us not lose hope that they cannot be saved, but let us pray earnestly that God, because he is rich in mercy and full of grace, would do a work to save them. Because as we've seen here in his truth, the action is not on what you or I can do. We didn't do anything. He has done it. And he's not done doing it. Peace is not the absence of your circumstance, but it's the presence of your king. And so what do we do with this? Because so often we can read text, we can unpack God's word, and we can say, well, I don't feel at peace. You may have stepped into this, this gathering this morning, join us online, and you're saying, I don't feel at peace. I read this, but there's this disconnect. I don't feel whole. We look at those around us and we say, I, I don't feel as though they're actually saved. I can't see how God is doing any work in them. They don't have a seat at his table. Or we look around and we say, well, for me, they're just, there has to be more. There has to be something else. We have to do something because we need a better expression of peace. And so can I ask you a question like, for each of us individually, what are you looking to for peace? What are you looking to for wholeness? 
all of us are feeling something. And yes, like, feelings shouldn't guide our truth, but can I offer a corrective instead of just like yelling that? We should not follow our feelings to our own actions, but we should follow our feelings to our Father, our Heavenly Father, who sees us, that knows the deepest things you are feeling, and he came and pursues you. A father wants to know what his children are feeling, thinking, and and see this good father has given us in Christ Jesus his spirit to guide us, encourage us, comfort us, correct us. We don't have to be afraid of someone feeling something. We just need to let Jesus speak to it, and we need to speak to it if that is a person God has entrusted to us in the way of Jesus. Peace is not the absence of your circumstance, but the presence of your king. So I've been praying a lot for this morning. Maybe it's because Brandon only lets me up here twice a year. Maybe it's just because like, I don't want to just take those opportunities for granted. And so I sat and I've been praying and I've been thinking about each of you. And as I was sitting with this, as I've been letting God's word speak to my heart, and as I've been looking back and I've been asking the Holy Spirit to show me, not in some weird way like God like audibly spoke to me, but when we sit with his word as we pray, he speaks to us through it. And so I began to ask this question, what are the markers that my life has moved from Jesus as my center and Jesus as my peace? As I sat here, I realized there were these two things, two markers, when I examined my life and as I looked around as one of your shepherds. The first marker is this, is, is blame. I think a marker of we have moved and lost focus of Jesus is when our life is marked by blame. And so what does this look like? When our thoughts and our speech are just constant critics of everything wrong around us, when my life is beginning to be filled with grumbling, with complaining, with arguing, with dissension, with divisions, with strife, see, if I read God's word, I realize these are actually markers that I'm leaning into my flesh. And I don't get a pass for living in these as much as I want to. It doesn't matter if I say, well, I have the right theological camp. I have the right political party. I have the right church attendance. No, God's word says that these are works of the flesh, and so they're works of the flesh. Later in Ephesians, which we're going to unpack together this July, Paul writes and he says, Bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, slander be put away from you along with all malice. And see, it's really hard as I think at times we, if we're only around people who are in the same space and season as us, sometimes we excuse these. When I look back at my life, I see these moments where I'm not living with Jesus as my focus when I'm always so concerned and I'm just like, why am I angry all the time? Why am I bitter? And I realized I was putting this hope and saying, if this person just changed, if this thing just wouldn't have happened, then I'd have peace. And it was a marker of saying, man, when I'm living in that, I've forgotten that peace is not the absence of my circumstance. It's the presence of my king, that Jesus was with me. The second marker is shame, right? Our flesh and the enemy want us to believe that we are too far 
from the redemption of God because of our sin, our trespasses. The enemy wants us to discredit God's word that you sit with this and you say, Jesus covered them, but he can't cover me. Jesus can bring wholeness and oneness to them, but he can't do it to me. To believe that we are abandoned by God and shame speaks so loud to some of us. The shame that says we are failures in our marriages, that we are failures as parents, that we are failures at our jobs, that the brokenness that happened to us that we struggle to put to death daily, that if they knew, they would take away my seat. We hear only the loudness of truth that God is just and holy and good, but we are divided from the ones who know because of his redemptive work in their life that he is also rich in mercy. And maybe you've never fought with shame. And as I was sitting here saying, what would someone who is fighting shame want you to know? We need you to be with us when shame speaks louder. We can't save ourselves, so why are you running from us? Why are you boycotting and leaving us alone in darkness? We are bleeding, and it seems like you care more about the comfort of your classrooms and groups than the death of fellow image bearers. Please, don't let the enemy win. But God, when our circumstances are overwhelming, Jesus made a way. When we can't fathom the depths of someone else's sin, Jesus preaches peace to our angry souls and says, remember, I have redeemed you to proclaim my holiness and my grace. When we are overwhelmed by apathy, we just don't even care. It's changing. It's too fast. Jesus preaches peace and says, I will fill you with my spirit. I will renew in you awe and wonder at those I am drawing to me for my glory, for my kingdom, for my renown. When shame says, I have hidden in darkness too long, Jesus says, I am the good shepherd and I leave the 99 for the one. Peace is not the absence of your circumstance, but the presence of your king. So I'm going to invite the team to come back out here. Um, And see, I think there's something about having these moments, these markers where we remember. And maybe as you sit here, you're saying, well, what do I do? There's been seasons in my life where blame and shame have spoken really loud, and it's really hard. This past December, so I was coming to a season where I was realizing I was really tired. I felt like I was fighting to be heard by God. And so it's maybe typical in our household, like I had this moment where I woke up in the middle of the night and I was just like this oppressive weight 
And this fear was overwhelming. And it was like, Gina's going to die, my wife, and Brandon's going to die. And all I could in that moment was just speak, Jesus, I need you. And we moved into this year, and there's just a lot, right? I recognize I'm young. I've been here 14 years. And so there are things that God was beginning to bring to me, that there are wounds that I hadn't let Jesus deal with because I was going so fast, right? Because we want to rush. Even now, we might be checking our clocks and saying, it's Father's Day, I have to get out of here. And I was always trying to rush. But I was never still enough to say, Jesus, where do I need you that I haven't been slow enough or still enough to let you speak to? And a team of us hopped on a plane to Atlanta. What a lot of them don't know is I was not in a good place. I was desperate, right? But pastors aren't supposed to be desperate. So I stepped into this room and I knew I needed Jesus. And it was this beautiful moment as we began to sing that I just didn't care anymore what people thought. And I just cried out, Jesus, I need you. Oh God, my God, I need you. And I want to offer us a moment before we rush out of here. Like, I recognize that there is a weight that some of you are carrying that I don't know. And I wish I could fix it. But I know the one who can. And so I'm going to ask you, all of us to bow our heads, eyes closed. And there's something about a posture that maybe you're in this space and that is your cry that you haven't been able to say it. To posture your body in a way that says, Jesus, I need you. If you're in here and you're sitting in this space where that is you, I just wanna ask as we still have eyes closed that I wanna pray for you. And so if the cry of your heart is, Jesus, I need you, and you feel led to posture yourself in a way, would you just stand so we can pray for you? That if you're in here and you're just saying because of family, because of grief, because of pain, those who know Jesus, those that don't, that if that's something that that's you, we're going to pray. And if that's a posture of your heart to just stand so we can know to pray for you. Heavenly Father, God, you see these, your children. God, thank you that you are the God that is with them. Holy Spirit, I ask that you would just make your presence known. Jesus, whatever weight they're carrying, whatever burden, oh God, would you give peace, this oneness, wholeness that's beyond understanding. Would you meet them? Lord, I plead, I beg. God, thank you that you are faithful and that you are good, that you are the rock that we stand on. Father, I lift these brothers and sisters up to you. We pray this in your holy and mighty name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this episode of the North Canton Chapel Podcast. If this ministry has blessed you in any way, please share this episode with your friends or spread the word on social media. If you subscribe and leave a five-star review, it goes a long way to helping us make much of Jesus every day to everyone who hears these podcast episodes. You can also donate to this ministry at ncchapel.com forward slash give.
Thanks again for joining us. May you go out into your places and spaces, making much of Jesus every day to everyone.